Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Raphael. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? Um, I noticed there was a bunch of galleries starting to do podcasts. I, I sent you uh, that article. You did. You did. Um, I and, read it. Yeah. And then immediately, uh, I looked at the the Jeff Koons interview. With because it's a very curious. How so they you listen to this it? interview, and and you should explain who uh, yeah. who has the podcast. Well, there's a bunch of galleries. I think Listen Gallery, and I think Artsy has a podcast. Hauser and Worth as well. Hauser and Worth, and then Zwerner is of course the big star, and then they had the big star Jeff Koons interviewed by a flashy curator. Sounds boring to me. Yeah, of course, but. <laughs> What's interesting to me is I saw the picture of the recording studio, and I'm always uh, like, "Oh wow, one day we'll have a real podcast studio." Because they have like a real production team behind it, not well, just like a b- yeah, bunch of guys like a, with laptops. It's a it's a it's a social media PR company, and so it's a very professional studio. And I noticed when podcasts are too well recorded, I can't keep my attention. And I was curious yeah. if you have the same thing. Yeah, like if it's um, a little bit over polished, uh, I find. It's not real. It's not the real voice. The voice well, of America. <laughs> it's it's a similar thing to when someone's Instagram account is all the shots are too perfect and then you don't trust it. Yeah, imperfection is perfection. I mean, yeah. uh, this podcast survives on that on that alone. <laughs> well, so that's, for our, sure. that's our like, key differentiator. We're always in different locations with different uh, echo and different uh, sound of the room and maybe different background noises and noises of neighbors and uh, but maybe we can have some feedback from our listeners, but I tend to, I especially lose attention if the podcast is too edited, if they take out all the, the ums and ahs and the mm-hmm. the pauses and the thinking. And, and Yeah. Yeah. But we talked about that last episode. With none of those golden, duplex. Ru- in, no interruptions. I mean, that's what that's what people tune in for. They For me saying like, <laughs> and for you <laughs> interrupting <laughs> me. <laughs> no, but the... It, it, we talked about that last episode, right? About Google yeah. Duplex and yeah. making so that yeah, that's just what that's I noticed human. with this Werner. They they made it too perfect, and you you lose attention. And it might be a very fundamental neurological uh, thing where you just can't listen to something that's too polished. Well, I mean, one of the things they said during the Google Duplex thing is that you know there's a real there's actually UX or user experience rationale for. Um, those pauses, right? Those ums and ahs are actually kind of indicators. Of, they're kind of like nonverbal cues about. Well, they're, where, they're a functional aspect of conversation. It's it's not yeah. decoration. They give space for a person to jump in uh, mid mid sentence, as you often do. But they also can indicate um, thought or thinking, like oh, I'm processing, right? Um, that kind of thing. Yeah. Different and different people in different languages use it more and more less often. I will say like, cause I speak French as well. And when I was surrounded by French people at the time growing up, there was, there was a lot more ums and ahs. Like, don't they always oh, say, uh, they say don't, don't yeah. and esque and, uh, yeah. yeah. I've always thought it's because there's fewer words in French. And so to find the right word, which is true in English too, you might, you know, there's like, oh, I'm searching through the, uh, how, how am I no, going to say No, I think this? French people just think more. <laughs> oh, they're just deeper thinkers, I see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah, like polish. Um, I mean, there's room for that. There's room for everything. I think that's our point of view. And yeah. uh, I am glad uh, how, that there's more people uh, exploring the podcast medium, but I think my heart is more with the DIY than uh, too polished. There's, there's I mean, a, a, a bunch of artists in Berlin that uh, are doing a podcast called New Models, it's, yep. it's very political. Did you listen to it? 
Not yet. Is it good? Um, well, they're friends of mine, uh, but I'm, there's already so many political pundits that I'm not sure how much we need it. But uh, yeah. Who are the artists behind it? Well, Daniel Keller and oh, then yeah. uh, two of his friends. Uh, one is called Little Internet. which I don't know the person, but that's his internet handle, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's oxymoronic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I I don't know there's a lot going on in the podcast space and then uh, I guess it's the whole podcast phenomenon has existed so long it's we're really late and then uh, uh, well of course we set off the second wave it's waves like feminism and sort of we're Mm. you know we're second wave (laughs) art (laughs) podcasters I I appreciate this third wave coming in it's great it's exciting Um, no it's I definitely I still uh I think my whole, uh, I always talk about VR versus podcast and how this is really augmented reality when you walk around the city or you're doing your chores and you have this digital layer in your ears. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it's like another layer of meaningless information for your life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as you're folding your laundry. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. As you like, as the dust collects upon your brow. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, uh, we want to do an episode about novelty, and uh, I I suggest. I mean, I don't, but you do. Yeah, I suggested this as a topic. You're always. I like uh, when you suggest something. Yeah, I'm up yeah. for anything. Yeah. Yeah, it's like Christina. I ask her where should we go for dinner, and she it's a, it's for her it's a chore to choose. So then I suggest something, but then she can uh, veto the suggestion, which she usually does, and then she knows mm, what a, she wants. That's very poor delegation. Really, the rule of delegation is to delegate and set expectations. I mean, I suppose if she said, yes, you can choose, but I have final veto power, then that's polite. But uh, mm-hmm. if she says, why don't you choose? I'll like whatever you, you choose. And then you choose something. She's like, I don't no, like it. And no, she's that's broken not that. how it goes. <laughs> I don't know how it is with you and Kristen, but it's like, well, uh, where, where should we go? Oh, Vietnamese. Mm, no, let's go Mexican. And then, yeah. okay, but if, well, if, if I had not said started. Vietnamese, then she wouldn't have thought of Mexican. So from a novelty perspective, um, are you saying that these podcasts are just novelty? Like, you know, what's your, no, what's your perspective? My, my perspective, and, and I hope other people know this feeling, um, that when you're an artist, uh, you see other exhibitions, and sometimes you're really excited. That's probably not so often. And a lot, of times, often, yeah. a, a lot of times you're frustrated because you're thinking, why is this in the gallery? This is not interesting. It's not fair. Why them, not me? And uh, like that feeling. Yep, been there. Um, I, I think they call it art rage, and I think it's even for people who are not artists, but who go into a gallery and it's like, why is this person making millions? This looks like crap. I could have done this, and like that, that feeling. Yeah, I mean, and better so, that reaction than no reaction. But keep going. Yeah, and the 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 thing I'm trying to teach myself now is that we live in a maybe a period of 150 years where art is focused on novelty. Mm. Um, so it's always about bringing a new argument to the table. And so I'm trying, when I see an exhibition, not to think about whether I like it or not, whether it's beautiful or not, but just to think, is it unique at all? And that's the only way I want to look at it. Like, it's the only way I evaluate the work. So you're, you're not, you're not, you're thinking, why does, you're not thinking, why does this exist? You're just assuming it must exist or? Yeah, like it, when you think of uh, abstract painting and there's like, uh, 120 years of abstract painting and then you just say okay is this uh unique is it a new argument or has it been done a million times before or a performance or uh, kind of what i mean 
it's not just unique in that it's brand new, but also that it's recognizable. That you could say, okay, this this artist uh, is pursuing a unique path. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would see this as just like generally markets and or the attention economy or something requires a new argument for people to pay attention, right? Because it has to displace something else uh, for us to pay any attention to it. So it's like, okay, you know, like we've had pop music of a certain variety for 10 years, then something new and fresh comes along. Why does it exist? Because yeah. we're bored of the thing that was but there d- before. Do you have, and I'm going to put you on the spot, but do you have an yeah. example when you go into an exhibition and you think, oh man, this person should not have been in the exhibition, but maybe you have to admit yeah, it is like unique. It's, like, it's always my work that I think. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always like, oh, I shouldn't have been in this exhibition. Okay, but okay. I'm trying to say something different or new, and I'm not even sure yet uh, if anyone will recognize this as art. In fact, they'll probably hate it and... Why am I here? I'm such a miserable so and so. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you have that kind of self loathing. I, I know quite a few artists that do. No, um, no, I don't have that. But um, yeah, why do you have that? I will be because when I was explaining this to someone else the other day, I was installing with them in a show and they were in a neighboring room, um, <clears throat> another artist. And um, I, I was saying, like, I'm never satisfied after an installation. There's so many things I would change. And but you're not an object-oriented uh, artist. So and it, maybe it, that's why. Yeah. But it, it's it, like, it, you don't feel the same when you do a performance. You're not like, oh, I guess they got me because I was available, but there's so many other people that could have like, done a better performance. It, oh, okay. So, yeah, like, w- maybe one time out of five, I'll be exhilarated after a performance. Like, and there's a bunch of things well, that have good. to go, that's right? That's a good, that's 20%. Yeah. yeah, and then other times I'll be like, you know what, I felt better. And no, it's but, actually but harder and I, harder. What I mean more is that if someone invites you to do a performance, do you sometimes say, hey, I'm not that good, you should get someone else? Um, no, I've never done that. Uh, but I have done, like I have started making space for other artists. I've but said, like, it, your performances are a good example where mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of people would find them. Uh, it's not their cup of tea, and it's kind of it's visually maybe not what they're looking for, and it's not the trajectory of performance art that they're interested in. And but they have to admit that you're bringing something to the table. So oh yeah, so yeah, normally like security guards, children, uh, older people, they run up to me after the show, and they're like so excited. That's your fan base. Um, yeah. That's that's my fan base. They're really excited because they're like, I've never seen anything like this. Um, and so yeah, I always like well, and as like an artist who cares about um, being popular, that that matters to me. I mean, it, I, and I mean that as a pop artist. Yeah. Like, it matters that like um you know like parents with their kids would be excited uh, to see my work and that it's not about clowns blowing balloons like it's I think it's I mean for me that's the hardest thing in the world to do is to get like a normal person who has no nothing invested to care and be excited about um, art it's not even be excited about art like fuck art like just be excited about anything mm-hmm. um and this just happens to be the way that i can express that so if i can get a standing ovation and people are like i've never seen anything like that before that's really exciting for me but it, it seems that your approach to performance is a very anti-traditional like you were looking at the tradition and you're thinking how can i move as far away from that as possible that's right yeah, I mean, but, that, but and that so maybe what I want to investigate, and it's the same in software and the same uh, in many things, is that 
um, there's been a tradition of breaking tradition. So, <laughs> yeah, but and, like, and, I, but what yeah. I mean is, if you look at the Egyptian times, they basically made the same uh, everyone was paintings for three thousand years, and there was a yeah. clear rule, and like this is the way it, it was brought up us from the gods, and this is how we make art. Yeah, there's no need to innovate. We've got no, this, right? No, like, yeah, and so. But that was a different system for learning as well, right? Like there was the apprenticeship model. And I don't know if the Egyptians had apprenticeship, but I assume like it was passed down from generation to generation. This is how you communicate, right? Yeah. But I, I feel a bit of a shift in my own work that uh, at first is like, okay, how can you do it as different as possible? So nobody was making mm-hmm. websites, so you make websites. And now the work that I'm interested in is more incremental. Not even mm, talking about my own work, but that I will see, especially the genre of abstract painting is so unspectacular. There's yeah. nothing crazy about it. But someone is like, oh, I'll try a different paint thinner. Oh, I'll try, a, I'll stretch the canvas a little different. And, and that becomes yeah. really interesting. I think what's interesting about what you're talking about, too, is that, like, if you, it, that spans a lot of things, including like, you know, product and innovation. Like, if you think about it, if that canvas is shaped like a, you know, tetrahedron or something like that, or like a diamond, that's just novel. It's it's like someone's breaking a rule that's already been broken and everyone's decided it's not interesting. Um, the same thing can happen in, in product design too, where like there's innovation that no one's looking for. And it's just like innovation for innovation's sake mm. um, is boring you know like yeah yeah I, I just i think there was just also a recode podcast episode about that uh there's a glass ceiling for apps like twitter and snapchat because if they innovate too much their core users are so upset Ugh, I, i'm living this every day uh, <laughs> i spent i spent the week on twitter like responding to angry customers of my own product and and I'm really humbled, and I really appreciate that because we redesigned everything from yeah, scratch. And yeah, but and also a lot your, of your product is is very is so based on intense habits. Yeah, but I got a bunch of things. You know, one of the, yeah, exactly. And there's a whole bunch of things I got wrong in that redesign, which was like based in good design theory. Like, well, here's what we've observed, and here's the data, and like this is stupid. We could like leapfrog this. But we innovated so many things that we lost track of why we were doing it, I think, to a yeah. certain extent. And that's, and that that's left very people funny. It, it just occurred to me that um, it seems Silicon Valley has this mantra of uh, break stuff and innovate at all costs. Hello? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And at the same time, it seems that there's a general mantra of like believing that calmness and inner peace is a good thing. Mm-hmm. So those things are very contradictory. But I think everybody in California is like, yeah, I meditate sometimes and I believe in yeah. uh, being one with nature and sitting in front of a tree and accepting the tree for what it is. But mm-hmm. I want to break stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, I can speak from experience on, on our product, which is like we give people the choice to try the new product and if they don't like it to switch back to the old one, and which is really interesting, right? Because some people will like try it, use it for a day, like, nope, not, not liking it, you know, and then they go right back and then... Other people stay for a lot longer and yeah. then choose to go back, and then a bunch and a large number of so people. So, what's the percentage? Choose and stay. Uh, I don't know if I'm actually publicly allowed to talk about okay. it, but let's just say like more people have chosen, you know, the new than the old. Okay. But like, um, but essentially, the, you're you're the, creating a, a lot power, of people don't. a power version of a calculator. And if I had a calculator, I wouldn't want the but- buttons to reorganize themselves every year. 
that has actually been like truly an interesting thing for me to realize that like people thought of our original product almost like an, the invention of the calculator was so popular um, and so loved that when we changed anything, they freaked out. And at first I was like, nah, they'll get over it. But I've realized now they're like, I'm reading things, you know, I was talking to some customers this week and they're like, why mess with perfection? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. well, because it's like, it, you know, it's actually not perfection. If you look at this, this and that, but they had learned to love its imperfections in a yeah. way. Um, well, it's, it's funny, the, the, now that we're talking about all kinds of podcasts, there's the, the Vergecast. Yeah. And I think m- one of their main topics is they get excited about a weird Android phone that does something crazy. <laughs> yeah. And then no one ever buys that phone or uses it for more than a week. It's only for people. So let's say the, the what was that ambient uh, uh, phone with the... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the ambient um, OS and the... Yep. The... Um, was that called? Uh, ah, yeah. And then there's a phone. We did a whole podcast. There's a bunch of fo- there's like Andy a f- Rubin's phone. Yeah, and then a phone with uh, five extra sensors, and maybe a phone mm-hmm. with that the uh, selfie camera jumps out, or maybe a phone with an extra high quality audio thing. And none of those phones, and all Apple does is like they're just slowly the in phone. a zen essential w- phone. Yeah, yeah. And Apple <laughs> is just slowly going towards the perfect glass uh, object. Just yeah. as, uh, you know, that's One clearly where they're headed, step by step, and they're not making any crazy moves. And uh, I guess getting rid of the home button was a big move. But they're they're innovating, but it's very iterative, uh, small steps. It seems. I mean, most of the world operates that way. If you look at automotive design, it's like 150 years, and like now we're getting electric power, and that's about all that's changing. Yeah, or the um, light bulb has slowly been changing. Yeah, it's still light. You can make it colored now. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I guess now all the innovations, you put a chip in it. Um, well, when something's truly innovative, the word innovate re- literally you know, kind of means new. Um, it's something people haven't seen before uh, or it addresses a new need that didn't exist before. That's kind of the definition of innovation. And so novelty is actually, I think, a bit different if, we're gonna, if this podcast is about novelty. Yeah. Novelty is, the, is difference or differentiation for the sake of differentiation, and, and I think, and no, and no other reason. Yeah, so it the, doesn't even the, have to in, be new. But to in be novel. art, in art, it's very important to be different in uh, the current ecosystem. Yeah, well, it's like, a, like it's a rule of branding to be different. Yeah, but let's generally. say let's say that you uh, were starting as a performance artist, you couldn't do a s- slightly different version of Marina Abramovich because she claimed that territory. Well, it would be derivative, in my opinion. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, and then you you wouldn't be noticed. No, people would be like, "This is a worse version of Marina Abramovic." I mean, yeah. maybe I could. But know, I'm, also be I'm saying that career. for the, the longest time in art history, it was fine mm-hmm. to just study the yeah. master and improve a little bit, and then right. And it still is in a lot of arts. Like, um, not to speak on behalf of other arts, but you know, in dance and music, you're often building or reinterpreting, you know, masters' yeah. work. But I, I'm um, just I'm just trying to uh, look outside of our. Uh, ecosystem of art where we're taught mm-hmm. at all times to be as different as possible yeah I don't know did you did you strategize that in art school did you look at the history yeah. of video art yeah. and just think like Definitely. okay I'm going to use a different camera I'm going to film in a different way I'm going to use live yeah. software and yeah yeah I mean that's what was encouraged and, and rewarded so it was like I had a thesis and my thesis was like 
uh, started with a question, a research question. And my research question what's di- was actually, what's different about this thing that happened in the 1970s, which was performance for the camera? And so I started from a place of, uh, you know, asking myself, well, what's different now that wasn't true then? And, and of course, like, context is what's changed. And so a bunch of the, you know, things that changed about context, I uh, made a part of my practice. And, and sometimes it seems so you can you can remove yourself a few steps from the existing discourse, but if you remove yourself too many steps, then it's not recognizable yeah. as art anymore. Well, let me put it this way. Like, if I didn't ground it in 1970s video theory, very few people would pay attention. I mean, at the same time, like, I never talked about that publicly, so I only started, first started about talking about the my work publicly because I, I only existed as a satirical persona for many years. But when I started talking about it seriously, people were like, I had no idea <laughs> that, uh, that that's what you're doing. That's really interesting. You should write more about that. You should talk more about it, um, which I've been doing. And, and like, but it, but it was really interesting because like when it, they're like, oh, I just thought you were like the funny YouTube guy. Um, yeah, yeah. And that was different. And that's enough, I guess, to get you so far. But then there are lots of artists that haven't, you know, that just are considered YouTubers yeah. or something and not artists because they haven't been able to ground it in art history. And then it, it, it's just interesting to me when you go into an exhibition and you might like the work or you might not instinctively, but then mm-hmm. there's all these parameters by which you can decide if the work is for you or not. And it's, uh, um, does it appeal to me immediately or does the but process... Do you think that's true appe- for the av- average person? Like the average person's like, mm, doesn't appeal to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're not... I'm, I'm talking about... Uh, us when we uh, are uh, no, I'm, I'm talking okay. about I think a lot of our listeners go through this I, I don't know I just had all this resistance for a long time where I just go into an exhibition and be like I can't believe this this is so stupid yeah and it's just very depressing after a while and I'm sure a lot of people feel the same way but maybe not maybe it's unique maybe it's just me but I, I'll tell you like the more often my feeling is I'll go into an exhibition and be like why didn't I think of that kind of thing and like I feel I get this kind of nervous feeling like there's so many great ideas, so many interesting points of view or like that's so that's one thread of emotion. And then the other one is like there's so many miss like points of view that I know are not being represented by this exhibition. Like, you know, whether that's. Yeah, maybe that's what I mean. So it's, it's not yeah. the directly that you say that's stupid, but you're thinking, uh, well, this work is so um uh, what I often saw when I grew up is that a lot of work was still referencing cinema, and I thought mm-hmm. oh, that's that's such an uh, you know that's such a different era. That's not the time we live in. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, or or you're you know you're like another Jeff Koons or another Richard Serra exhibition. Like I, I've seen this balloon yeah. dog yeah, at, yeah, yeah. in every shape and size and color. You know, like well, that's what I noticed. There's a lot of new private museums, and they all have a Richard Serra. Right. It's it's like it's it, it's not a museum until you have one of this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's kind of like the disnification. But then yeah, but then you our... you have to admit that he made a very recognizable unique thing is it? Yeah, no one no one can copy a, a, a mammoth piece of steel and get away with it. A like a rusty piece of steel, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like that was unique for its time. And yeah. uh, therefore remains unique. Yeah, well, because, yeah, yeah. Richard Serra yeah. is a good example where um, I'll get annoyed if you go to a private museum. Th- that's maybe the feeling I'm talking about, annoyance. And you're like, man, that was a missed opportunity. They could have something really fresh. And it's another big <laughs> piece of steel. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, 
yeah, I, I'm trying to just put my own feelings aside and just look at it. But I think Richard Serra is a perfect example where you see it so many times that there's zero surprise. My feeling, though, is that Richard Serra is like Mies van der Rohe or something like that, where not everyone has seen it. I mean, you think it's ubiquitous. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mies van der Rohe being an architect for the 1% of listeners that don't know. And um and you know you see that you see every skyline has a Mies van der Rohe or every museum has a Richard Serra, but like the average person goes to a museum like once every five years and like oh I think I remember seeing something like this, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know we're going to museums or you know galleries on on a on a monthly basis and therefore you're like I can't believe it I was just in France and saw this piece and here I am in New York it's the same thing like you know I don't know here's one question for you which is like. I used to really be nervous when I showed my own work twice <laughs> that people would be like, or perform my own work twice, that people would be bored, like, oh my God, no new material? What is this? It's been a year. Um, and then I realized, like, you know, it seems so obvious, but it's like, you know what? No one has seen this work. In fact, like 99.9% of the family, ha- of, of the of the world hasn't seen this. Like, I mean, you, you even you as like one of the... Well, I, 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 it's different for me because I make all these internet pieces that people see uh, repeatedly and like maybe they see it once a year they go back to the website see if there's any new ones and they might look at a few old ones so yeah the idea that the work is always available uh, then it doesn't make it weird for me to show a website uh, in two locations in the world right right yeah because it's always there anyway yeah like uh, if if someone has a sometimes i get to show on public screens and then uh, I might show a piece that I've shown before in a different part of the world, but there's there's no part of me that thinks like, oh, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. But one of the, the topics that we haven't discussed in regard to novelty is like novelty within one's own practice, which is to say yeah. artists often get trapped within a certain style or reference material. And then it's like, then, you know, they get bored. Typically, you know, I've definitely had this a few times or they want to change. They don't want to be boxed in by their career. They don't want to be known as that person that does dot paintings or whatever. And so they try something new. Yeah. Um, and at first it's almost, I will say, in my own practice, just for novelty's sake, to see, you know, what happens. Um, yeah, it, it, it's interesting. I think we talked about this before, that for, for, as a creator, it it's almost like uh, saying goodbye to creativity and like just go, focusing on going deep. And mm-hmm. it, it really just, uh, I think some artists really have to decide, okay, I found my thing and I have to say goodbye to creativity and now I'm just going to iterate. To me, it's almost like this thing where it's like, okay, the factory is now open. It's producing Teslas no, at 5,000 I, I, I don't. <laughs> I don't see it that way. I, I really think for me, some artists that go very deep into details, mm-hmm. for me as a viewer, it's, it's really a delight to be able to see that in the same way. I know I was being, I was being, no, a bit no, no, but grass, I think, but... and I think it's very courageous for an artist to say goodbye to creativity. Because that like Ankara, so, like Ankara yeah. is gonna be like, like that's quite courageous, right? It's like yeah. it's just gonna be dates from. from well, now he on. had a few different projects. He had postcards <laughs> and he had books with numbers, but he's the best example of this sort of monk-like uh, mm-hmm. uh, approach. But even um, Namjoon Pike is quite creative, but he definitely is like, okay, it's always gonna be in the media realm. That's my thing. That's true, but I would say within that, he's like all over the place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. But then someone like uh, Dan Flavin with the tube lights, I had all these different stages of seeing his work. So first I saw maybe one or two of the tube lights, 
and you think, like, mm-hmm. okay. And then I saw That's his right, retrospective yeah. in, in Paris, and it was the first time I saw the whole path of like one tube light, and then maybe four, and then seeing it chronologically grow, and like all these little steps. Mm-hmm. It, it, made, it made me very happy that there was a human being that could just spend their whole lifetime thinking about these details. That yeah, it, and yeah. and to me, um, it was almost like a, a the perfect example of the artist being free from any. Um, there's something very interesting about going in, into very deep details that you can't do in other aspects of life. But I also think yeah, in what other you're professions. Saying, yeah. There is something to be respected for someone who says, you know what, I could do something different, but I'm not. I'm gonna very I'm gonna I'm gonna fine tune this thing. Probably there's a lot of pressure. Like, should I continue doing this? I mean, they say they want another I, to one. To me, but. it sounds like the the biggest pressure because everyone who's an artist starts with the exploration mm-hmm. and then really saying, No, I'm gonna plant a flag. And that's a so very called, scary like diver- thing. Div- like divergent thinking and then they start to converge almost like yeah but and and i'm sure there's tons of examples of people who planted the flag on a on a not so interesting area and then they did that for 10 years and like Mm -hmm. oh i planted the flag too early yeah i mean like yeah so you diverge and then converge way too quickly before you even had a chance to explore yeah but there's to me there's no clear answer which method is better because there's artists who are all over the place and it's really great and there's artists who are very restricted and uh, it's great as well well. how did you how did you know when to stop uh stop diverging because i mean you diverged and then you you like you have converged to a certain extent i'll i'll say that i have for sure well for me um i was making websites but within that anything goes so i could do whatever any topic i want and uh, Mm -hmm. but i did choose a certain visual solution because it's scalable and because it's code based, and uh, it didn't make sense for me to switch the video, for example. Like, mm-hmm. but what cues were you using? Like, were you listening to what curators were saying, what audiences thought? Like, no, how did you no, know? just my own curiosity. That's the only thing. And you're like, one day you just stop being curious. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but like, yeah, no, no. Like, my my friend was yeah. asking because the first ten or twelve years I only made websites, and he's like, oh, are you just gonna make screensavers your whole life? I'm like, yeah, I guess. And you're like, yeah. But but. Um, <laughs> Um, it, it, it's more that the other ideas that I had I didn't really like so much. So I, yeah, I was every day I'm sketching in my sketchbook, and then I would even try like, oh, I should think of something for a painting, and then, mm-hmm. I, and then every sketch I made was a moving image. It was just, a, but that changed the last five years. But I mean, this uh, in that exhibition I mentioned earlier, one of the people who had installed next to me was Tabor Roback, and like, actually, I never know how to pronounce his name, but That's whatever. Right, yeah. Um. And, you know, it's speaking of like, you know, perfection, I just feel like for our listeners who don't know, he does these sort of like beautiful recreations of like either video games on your smartphone or screensavers, like just these like digital experiences that seem so like nostalgic, almost like the Jeff Koons of smartphones or something like that, but out on these huge screens, like, but the polish is like, off the the charts in my opinion um and so people are just like captivated by the level of detail um Mm -hmm. in the thing uh which is one kind of iteration well that's exactly the 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 example of going deep yeah his work where mm -hmm. he's just like and I, i talked to him about it it's like are you curious about physical objects and he's like well 
I would be such a, a novice in that area, and uh, there's so many other people who spent their whole life exploring materials, and they're so much better at it. And I just have mm-hmm. this talent in this area where not that many people are uh, in in art are researching that area of like extreme three D graphics. So mm-hmm. for him, it's uh, yeah, I, I I can't speak for him, but it seems he made that choice of like this is exciting, and there's still a lot of room to experiment. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it's it's not that every piece is the same. So Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking of myself at what point I decided like um, cuz there are other artists of course like and you know I should caveat that certainly not um, a super successful artist, but like there are lots of artists that are um, that have persona or that worked with performance or did video um, and lots and now that I do social much more social practice, there's lots of social practice artists that came before me. Um, and I, you know, I've often thought, well, like, why would any, why should anyone pay attention to what I'm doing or is what I'm doing legitimate? Why have I stopped here? Like, why have I decided this is going to be the thread? But it always comes back to some, like a personal narrative of some kind. Um, you know, like, uh, there's like, it's just like different well, points uh, in a story. Yeah. And it, it's almost like, uh. I was compared to mathematics and you make an equation and then that equation helps you to make the next equation and it doesn't make sense to just jump somewhere completely different if you've created a toolbox yeah I mean when I, I've often told you know when I give artist lectures I tell a story and there's just like three or four insights like eureka moments that occurred to me and then I couldn't unthink those things um, as hard as I tried and from that day forth you know I was like well this is the way it's going to be kind of thing um, and I'm still if, like, happy and excited. I think this the real litmus test is really like if you're still interested. <laughs> so I'm actually still interested in the topic or the area that I chose. Um, and therefore, there's still research to do and there's still like detail to uncover. Um, I'm assuming you feel a little bit that way, too. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It, it's. I don't want to, the, the problem with this conversation, I wanted to talk about reviewing other oh, people's good. work because I don't want to say like, oh, I'm mm-hmm. super interested in my work and my work is great. That's Yeah, yeah, I was just being yeah. vulnerable for a second. So if we go, if we like, well, we want to talk about novelty. So, you know, novelty within your own well, practice is one way. Yeah, I mean, within my own practice, every time I figure out a new category of work, like whether it's music like or, or haiku or the lenticular mm-hmm. work or the uh, whatever it is, then... Immediately, I lose interest in the previous. I'm like, oh, this is way better. I'll just do haiku. I'll, I don't even need a computer. And this, right, right, right. this cancels out everything else. And then I do that for a few months. And then I'm like, hmm, I still have a few lenticular ideas. And oh, this would be a good website. And oh, that would make a good uh, cutout and uh, et cetera. Yeah. So the, the other ideas come back. Okay, yeah. So it's like you have your blue period or you have a series or whatever, right? Like that's not untraditional necessarily. Um, you can have a bunch of threads. Going I, I do think that what's what's uh, in, for my practice is uh, that the computer is such a the word multimedia really seems to when it's in front of you you're like oh I could try a sound piece oh mm-hmm. the computer's great at text I should try a text piece oh the computer can see and see cut how can I and so it's almost like the computer is asking you why don't you test your thesis in these different uh, mm, ways. interesting yeah uh, other media might do that but like, like um, yeah like, i don't know if it's the same for a painter but if your your studio is full of paint then it's not so logical to then make a song mm-hmm. 
Well, plenty of painters make sculptures. That's no yeah. to make a song all of a sudden or like. Oh right, right. I'm right. saying the, 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 the desktop is all these different apps, and you're like, oh, there's mm-hmm. a text app, and there's a sound app, and there's a. But plenty of um, artists and abstract expressionists, they made or they thought about music and then tried to make paintings from music yeah. anyway, but they didn't compose. Music. I, I'm, I'm sure there's examples, but I'm saying in general that the computer is just this tool that can do so many things at once. Yeah, so it's, no, that's a good it, point. Yeah. So when you think of novelty, when you're thinking of this conversation, what were you, what were you thinking we were going to Well, about? I, I, the main thing is that I wanted to... Uh, get out of my, not look at works and immediately think, do I like it or not? Mm-hmm. And and more go to exhibitions and think like, okay, what is this person bringing to the table? And then now I understand oh, yeah. why people like it, even if I don't like it. Right. So what, uh, and, and have you, you've had a few experiences recently where someone brought something new to the table. What was the most recent experience? I don't know if it's, um, like if you go to an Ai Weiwei show, are you like, hmm, interesting, new well, stuff to the table? That's a perfect example where I really don't like him or his work, but I have mm-hmm. to admit that it's uh, uh, very impactful visually and that it's uh, appeals to a lot of people. And that, yeah, but it's a perfect example of an artist I do not like at all. But I have to admit that he has his own thread. <laughs> like I respect that. Yeah. Um, yeah, like there's a bunch of contradictions in his work that I think are interesting. Um, but that's a story for another day. I mean, for me, I think of that person is Hiro Sterl, uh, where I'm like, uh, I'm not sure I like this aesthetically, um, but I can appreciate there's something different here or it's presented well. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I'll, I, I don't know, it makes... I feel a little bit uncomfortable saying this. So many people like that work, but um, ooh, Jeremy, I'm not. I'm just not. Ins- I'm not usually that inspired. Uh, well, that's one it. one quality. If you see an exhibition and you're energized and you're like, yeah, I want to do something. You, yeah, you, you don't mean, get thing, that from from that work. I think I'm a little bit ruined because I curated video and I have a master's in video art for a long. So for I've seen so much video that I'm actually off of it completely. Like even though I make videos, still I'll be like, you know. To make a video longer even than 30 seconds, I'm, I'm like, this is a waste of everyone's time. Mm, this is a waste of this space. <laughs> like, yeah, like my eyes uh, have seen and heard enough. The I, world I, has enough of I this. always hated video because of the, it uses so much disk space. <laughs> Especially now with 4K. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. disgusting. Yeah, know. and then we're going to go to 8K, 3D, and HDR, and yeah, <laughs> forget about it. Yeah, yeah, forget about it. <laughs> you need a server room and everything. Yeah, but video game art and like new forms are often like associated with novelty. I, I mean, I just threw video game art in there because it's a relatively new form. Yeah, you know, not yeah, and 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 the reason I wanted to talk about novelty is because it's so embedded in in, in consumerism and therefore mm-hmm. and also in in software design because it's the same cycle. Like every time there's a slightly new hint of a change, everybody's excited. Yeah. But you know, you should know that like a lot of museums don't collect not like not work that's novel or innovative. Like new technologies come along, and those histories are well, often they might, they might uh, create something that's novel in the story of sculpture, but not in the story of technology. Yeah, I guess the point I'm trying to make is I was talking to um, one of our listeners who's also like a, a you know kind of a restoration expert for digital technologies and. 
was talking to him about like I made an app and I, he was like you should really get the museum to collect that and I'm like I don't think they really know what to do with it and he's like well you've got to advise them that they should do that. And, and, and you know we're thinking through it I was thinking yeah there's a lot of early internet art that got lost a lot of CD-ROM art that got lost a lot of early video art in, including the first ever piece of video art um, just doesn't exist because when it's made, it's so new, so novel, and the technology and like and the curators yeah, and the like museums aren't even in a place to recognize. And then it becomes yeah, they're not even in a place to. Re- they can't even recognize. Is that even art? I'm not even sure. Yeah. I mean, they're saying it is. <laughs> and it's funny uh, if you if you walk into a museum, sometimes they're installing and they have these little labels and it says this is art, because yeah. the cleaning crew will come and then they might not right. recognize it as art and throw it out. There's like that famous story at the Tate. I can't remember the artist that had a co- like it was a bunch of garbage on the floor, like a coffee cup and stuff. And the cleaning crew uh, cleaned it up. <laughs> it was like, a, you know, a hundred thousand dollar installation or something. Oops, whoopsie daisies. Yeah, but it, it, um, I mean, you when there's news, I think in Mad Men there was something about the idea of novelty that it creates an itch you can't scratch. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's, let's say that. You know, your your hardware right now, you have an upgrade cycle, maybe once every yeah. five years you get a laptop, but they might release the next model and it has a new feature that you just love so much and you you will tell yourself, I don't need it, but it, you keep thinking, oh, it has that Ooh, new I was feature. hoping we didn't have to go here, but like in new media, which is kind of the category I fall into as a famous new media artist, um, there is this habit of when a new technology comes along, there's just like... Tons of the first art AR like, work, the first yeah, the blockchain first, yeah. work, yeah, first VR work, yeah, uh, and invariably, like, um, it's important just because of that. Because uh, what are all artists going to do? Yeah, now the first selfie shot with the iPhone 10. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> and like I've made fun of that on a few occasions. Like I created the first Connect artwork for a museum, <laughs> or whatever. But like, um, like it's so absurd. Because you know... It's just a consumer like, cycle, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a consumer cycle. Like, why would art be tied to these consumer electronic <laughs> yeah. releases? It makes no sense. It's like, it should be tied to ideology. Yeah, the, the, the first painting painted with a, a artificial hairbrush, <laughs> yeah. And you get some of that in the, the history The first acrylic painting, new, the first... New uh, pigments, and yeah. yeah. Um, and people are, it's more like, uh, there's the bacon double cheeseburger now, and now, you know, with an onion ring on top or something like that, it's <laughs> yeah. just like, <laughs> they brought back the McChicken barbecue burger. Yeah. <laughs> like, what have they, yeah, like, what have they done to my hamburger? And, and that, like, and it's, yeah, I thought about yeah. that a lot. Like, um, you know, the whole culture around sneaker collecting mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, of course. I, I fell into this YouTube hole. There's a complex magazine. There's like a streetwear, whatever magazine. And they do a series of sneaker shopping with rappers and, and other celebrities. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know so much. I knew that, I mean, I live in, near Soho, so I always see the lines in front of the Supreme store. Yeah. And it's always just a detail that changes. It's never something completely different. <laughs> so it's the Air Force One, but it has a yellow ribbon and, and or it has a silver lining Ooh. around the ribbon. And then people freak yes. the fuck out. <laughs> and, and so I, I saw this where Diddy and other people go to the sneaker store and they say like, oh, they never wear the same sneaker twice, ever. They usually change sneakers three times a day and throw out the other ones. Just What? <laughs> <laughs> I know that you will think about buying a pair of sneakers for two years and then wear them till yeah. they're completely busted. But they're like, yeah, exactly. no, I never wear. And then they say, kind of silently, they say, yeah, we'll donate them to people in need or whatever. But like, no, I just throw them out. <laughs> but that's the whole thing of, of the, that culture of uh, balling, I guess. But 
It, well, you're hinting at something but, which is but, a good but, point, but, which is but like what novelty I'm to, is part of consumer culture. Yeah, right? but what I'm trying to say is that there's a painter I really like, uh, Peter Halley, and his work is iterative. Like he has a few basic structures of composition, and then he'll do it with a neon glow or with a gold glow or with a different texture, and it's almost like sneakers. It's, he has the Air Force mm-hmm. One. And then you change the colors a little bit and people freak out and like, I want that one. And, you, and you're kind of hinting that collectors love that. Yeah, that novelty aspect where you do something slightly different and it's just like sneakers or vinyl toys, but then in a, mm. in a different price point. And it's like, oh, he did the thing with the little thing and then he changed the little thing on the little... Yeah. yeah this is the only one of Solowitz's work where the lines are at a 45 degree. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, from what I heard, it like, uh, um, collectors really like to collect the transitional moment. It's like, oh, this is where they went from uh, horizontal to vertical. It's the one moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was going through their head at that time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it mm. makes you think when you all of a sudden see sneaker collectors and you think, oh, it's not that different from collecting art. Yeah, no, I, I don't think it is. If from a collecting standpoint, that's why I said sort of like from a consumer culture standpoint, like you could replace sneakers for beanie babies or you know whatever um i mean it, it, it's maybe the difference between an art critic entering a gallery and a collector entering a gallery and so the art critic is trying to find the weaknesses and mm-hmm. the collector is trying to find the the unique piece that nobody else saw it's like oh i found something that nobody else found and mm. uh, this is special yeah and the and the critic that at least my vision of a critic is someone who goes in and is like, okay, let me check my database. It's been done before. Okay, lame. Yeah. I don't know if every critic is like that, but... Um, I mean, the word itself is... It, it, they're not called enthusiasts. They're called critics. Well, let me put it this way. Like, of all of the reviews I've received, many of which have been poor, um, like, well, I remember the first bad review I got was like, you know, Bailey, <laughs> like, you know, uh, shifts gears and tries new ways. <laughs> and I was like, will it succeed? Question mark or something like that. You know, the answer is no. But like, <laughs> it was, it, I was definitely like, oh man, I was trying something new. I really thought that critics would like that. Um, I mean, I was, I never do anything for critics in particular. And certainly I never expect a review for a show, but uh like it's almost like they just wanted more of the same. I, uh, more often in my career, I have felt people wanted more of the same because also when I put when I post a video, still to this day, like which I do less often, people are like so glad to see you're still making videos. That's the best stuff, right? Like well, the, often the, artists are known I mean, for their early work. I, I will argue that uh, with your socialist uh, mindset, the mm-hmm. making videos that are available online across the globe makes the most yeah. sense to me and. Uh, yeah, sure, but I'm I'm just saying I'm, like I'm saying um, d- doing performances privileges people who can afford to be in a city and uh, be. No, very good point. I mean, that's why I still whenever I do a performance, I also record a video version yeah. of it. But um, that's another thing. Saying, like, like right now, the trend is on uh, what they call. Um, sorry, I interrupted you. No, it's okay. Uh, what do they call it? Engaged? No, social, not social, political work, but uh, work that uh, tries to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. Like social practice, social practice, but uh, even more didactic work. Um, and I was, in, I, I'm, I'm in a group show in the Netherlands, uh, and the topic is uh, mobility. And they were mm-hmm. asking me in, in the interview, "How does your work uh, address politics?" And I said, "Well, <laughs> the work is not about politics, but the work, the distribution is political." 
And so, oh, okay, good. You found a hack. <laughs> no, but it's 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 honestly. You've always said that. Though. Yeah, yeah, but and then I I, uh, I was talking to someone. I, the, I said yeah. work doesn't have to be about politics to be political. No, that's true. And you were the first person to put out like a contractor selling websites that was open source. So you've always had some yeah, political Yeah, and, and most of the work you can uh, uh, is done in JavaScript, so you can look at the source. And uh, this podcast is open, uh, openly distributed, and uh, most of my and work is available for you created which is open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, um, I do think um, if... if if you in your heart you feel like uh, financial inequality is a big problem, then you should make your work accessible. No, I, I definitely, I definitely. So that's agree. a challenge for, I was, to you to start making YouTube pieces again. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, the, the point I did make a YouTube piece a little while ago, but the the point I was trying to make was that artists are often recognized and celebrated for their early work, um, for the initial kind of gesture. Hello? And hey, oh, hello. Oh, you there? Yeah, you're back now. Wait. We had a little blip. Sorry, audience. Yeah. Wait, um, you, but can you start art, over? Art, yeah, so the point I was trying to make is that artists are often known for their early work and any innovation that comes after that or any novelty, quote-unquote, would be like, you know, considered just that. Like, And so can't you just make more of the thing that we like? I, that I wonder, that, I feel like a lot of young people in art school have questions about that. It's like, am I supposed to make the same thing my whole life? And I'm not sure where this comes from because a lot of artists, well-known artists, do all kinds of stuff. Like they're, yeah, they're just known. Uh, Warhol for is a great example for doing all kinds of stuff, like doing a magazine, mm-hmm. making films, making a venue, making a band, making an album. Uh, yeah, but every artist needs a postcard. That's a that's the kind of <laughs> the, the cynical I, way of looking at it. No, but uh, so this fear that you have to do the same thing and you can't innovate. I'm not sure what because Warhol I'm not saying is, that. I'm, I'm saying I'm not saying I'm that. Saying, I'm saying what would go on Warhol's postcard. No, what I'm saying is. There's a cliche that I often hear of of young uh, art students like, do I have to do the same thing my whole life? I I love creativity and I want to be all over the place. Then if you look at the top artists uh, in the world, like Picasso and Warhol, and they were doing all kinds of stuff. So there's your answer. You can do all kinds of stuff. I mean, if you're Picasso, that means you can also be, you rape young women. But uh, anyway, <laughs> I just made it seem way too political. Uh, but like, I think, yeah, I, I mean, don't disagree. It, it, the point. It's very hard to discuss art if you're going to, like. Yeah. <laughs> but the point if I was trying to make is everyone that. everyone and then say, like, oh, we can't talk about those artists anymore. Well, what would go on the, the postcard, the point I was trying to make is that every artist has an index work that is sort of the front door. Yeah, but that, that um, index work will just happen as you're moving along and that's trying true. stuff. You, go, you actually don't get to decide that, I, yeah. was, I would argue. But Some, you're saying if, if Pipi Lotti Reese uh, starts making paintings, then people are like, no, please make more videos. Yeah, I mean, Unless Pipi Lotti Reese Unless the paintings are be, awesome. She'll be, and in, in, in her case, like, what would you put on a postcard? You'd put a, a woman smashing a window on a car with, like, oversaturated color, right? So, mm-hmm. like, you'd, there would be a still from the video. Like, even in a video art, you know, kind of context, people are usually... Well, you could make rec- a lenticular postcard with a little sequence. Yeah, but that's not the way the brain, the human mind works. I think that's what challenge, you know, the challenge of for performance art is as well is like everyone wants the document, not the thing itself, in terms of collecting and novelty, right? It's like Marina Abramovic. No one wants to sit there for two hours staring at her. They just want a picture of other people doing that and crying. Yeah. Um, it's a sad. Sorry, I'm like on a. I don't know how I suddenly got on this like cynical. Well, this is this is your frustration of uh, finding your postcard. 
for yourself? Well, I was listening to an interview with Laurie Anderson today, which was really interesting. And she was saying like, you know, talking about live performance and that an audience makes up its mind about who it is as an organism in the first five minutes of a performance. And then really, you know, the artist or performer has to play that instrument or that, you know, has to have an interaction, has to have a conversation with that person. But no one decided who that person was going to be and no one knew it was going to be until, you know, in the first five minutes they just decided somehow. Um, which I think is, you know, an interesting way to think about your practice is like you really, you know, novelty or not, you're not going to be able to make as the decision about how your audience receives it or what they think is important or interesting or, but, or but novel for that matter. She's a good example of an artist who uh, wanted to discover a lot of, explore a lot of new territory. So mm -hmm. artists supposed to make something that you hang on the wall and she's like, well, actually I'm going to make music videos and songs and I'm going to perform in front of people, but I also make drawings and uh, I'm going to try everything. Mm -hmm. um, and so her being, her entire being is about exploring and creativity and finding boundaries. So as a, as a boundary searcher, she's very successful. She's, she explored a lot, but if you want to summarize her work in a, in a single work, it's impossible. So, Yeah, it it yeah. depends on what kind of exhibition you're making. And so it, she would be great for a huge exhibition with multiple rooms. And some of the rooms are documentation of videos and some of the drawings. But if you're doing a retrospective of like what happened in the 80s, it would be very hard to capture her because her work is so multifaceted. So when you're talking about the, the branding postcard thing, it's like, well, Jeff Koons, he summarizes his work. And you can understand the work from a single work of his. Uh, of course, it's better if you see the whole trajectory, but like you, the balloon dog, and that's it. Yeah, and a, and Laurie, Laurie Anderson is not an icon producer. And so they're just two different mm -hmm. approaches. Mm -hmm. And I mean, and of course, she's, done, she's a great example of an artist who's also done music. Um, and, who, and film yeah, has, and, yeah, and, and instrument yeah. building and yeah. In electronic art and photography yeah. and performance. Anyways, yeah, she's done everything. Right? But it, it, um, and done it for popular she's, she's audiences. She's not the person who's like, oh, I'm going to make date paintings for the rest of my life. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I think it's an interesting topic because I think it's that the point I'm trying to make is it's so far out of your control. Like, but but Laurie Anderson is also a good example where um, it's interesting that an artist made music and you might listen to her songs every now and then as an example of uh, visual artists that make music, mm -hmm. but it's not something that I, it's on my repeat playlist or that I listen to very deeply that I, I have such a intense relationship with music and I don't get that with her music. Well, I think she would argue that you really have to experience it live, you know, like uh, in this particular interview it was interesting. She was in front of a live audience and then she asked, the audience to scream for six seconds all at once, right? Now, for me as the listener, the audience screaming is not that interesting. But to be there in the audience with everyone screaming... Now, so what you're you know, saying that's, is that's ultimately what you find most interesting in our work is the live performance. Well, in performance, I find that novelty is actually built in by its very nature um, and that you had to be there And that every time you're there, it's di it's a different there. Sometimes, and that's what I love about performance. Sometimes I feel that way about a lot of net art. That, um, um, so it's it's a very easy thing. Have you ever been to a Laurie Anderson performance? No. I mean, no. It's, yeah, I'd love to. Well, so... Have you? No, but my point maybe is, is that if you make a work that is 
very hard to ever see in your life and then you can see documentation and you're gonna say no it was actually really cool in real life that's almost like a, mm -hmm. a really great marketing trick of like right it, you'll never get to see the thing but it's so great. yeah i mean every it, it's musicians it's, it's, do it all the time it's way cooler than any any other work but you'll never get to see it you're right though like politically speaking someone like her and she has gone on tour so i, I will give her this credit but most performance artists don't do long tours like they don't do i'm gonna like take a minivan across america and perform yeah yeah like uh, 100 cities and bars and stuff yeah like black flag like or bands like that, that or, yeah. yeah i mean so in in essence not very many people or very elite people get to experience uh, or have that experience and it's a bit exclusive it's a bit novel if you will um and from the collector's standpoint even they would have difficulty seeing it yeah. more than once. But it's the same with what you were saying about video art pieces or net art pieces that are lost. That's almost mm -hmm. a strategy because maybe the piece was not that great to begin with and it was better as a legend. Well, I'm certain that's true of Namjoon Pike who, you know, had the first video art of just like, you know, the Pope going by in a parade. <laughs> um, it's much better told in story than yeah. anything I'd want to watch yeah, on yeah. video. So, uh, yeah. yeah, sometimes the legend is the work. <laughs> And the legend is often not even true. It's sort of uh, exaggerated upon. Yeah. Um, but I, I, yeah, novelty is just one layer. And if the other layers are not there, if, if the work is, uh, doesn't catch now you. We, yeah. Speaking of novelty, we, we sometimes have in, in our podcast a break for an advertisement. Ooh, for a new product. And we, all, we often forget. <laughs> <laughs> As we did today. Uh, yeah, but we should still, we have an ad, which is novel uh, for this podcast, even though they're free and anyone can do it. Um, so I thought we should read this ad. Yeah. So we get a, and don't read that first part because it says explicitly okay. don't read this. Okay. Jeremy, have you ever desired a moderately peaceful and restorative VR experience? Why, Raphael, yes. As you know, I'd rather be in my garden than playing VR. Tell me more. It's called Drops. It's a new game available in the Oculus Store. Instead of tiring you out with novelty and motion, it's restorative and fairly boring. You move around blocks to create sound sculptures. Wow, this VR rhythm garden might start to compete for attention with my real garden. Indeed. For more info, start typing www.drops.garden into the URL bar of your favorite web browser. Well, thank you very much, Anonymous Center. Drops.garden. And extra points for getting the word novelty into that ad yeah, um, before we even knew we were going <laughs> to... Serendipity. Um, and then we kind of are out of time, so <laughs> that's yeah. normally the break. But like, uh, we, we didn't get any new field recordings this week. We got some ads, uh, but uh, you chose a field recording. Yeah, Um a few weeks ago, we went for lunch uh, at a nice Japanese place, and we walked by a church. Uh, it's called the Grace Church, kind of a midtown, a lower midtown. And we mm -hmm. walked in, and there was an organ concert, so I recorded a bit. We just ca caught the tail of it. but uh, For free? <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. It, it had a, all the churches in New York, are like, they, don't feel, they feel like movie sets to me, because a lot of, like yeah. The Exorcist or something would have been shot there. <laughs> right. Well, those church elites never give us access to their organ music on the internet. So here it is for you in the podcast. For free. Bringing it to the people. For free. Yeah. 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 Bring it to you. 
Okay, well, thanks so much for listening. Thanks, Raphael, for an interesting you, com- a novel conversation. Yeah. And uh, we'll be back next week. I mean, uh, Raphael's about to go to Iceland, everyone. Yeah, so, so there's he mi- one week gap. There's a, there's a chance you might not come back because of a volcano or something like that. We're not sure. Yeah. But we wish you well. <laughs> I, I always feel like if I, if I have to go, then that's a good way. Well, enjoy your trip. Um, can't wait to hear all about it when you get back. Okay. Bye-bye.